0: This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, Wildcaters? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. We've got my good buddy, Jason Word, with Oilfield Marketplace. How's it going, man? Uh, it's going great. You're That's here what in Houston, right. Right. Hmm? You're here in Houston. I am here in Houston. Yeah. 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 Okay. So Flavia could make it. Let's make a, a short little shout out for Flavia. She was going to join us. She got caught up in Europe. Uh, she does a lot of good work for you guys. Um, unfortunately, she wasn't able to make fuse either. So I'm going to call her out on this podcast when yeah, she hears it. That's, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so funny story. We actually have had you guys on the podcast. I want to say about three years ago, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it was before you kind of came in. I think you were, you were still at SOB then. We had Chad Hartness on. And like I was telling you, we've got a picture of us and Chad in our in our conference room. It was one of the cool pictures from like the early days. I want to say that was probably like at least in the first 15 episodes that we ever did. This was a side project. It was never supposed to be anything. And so it was cool, um, you know, just kind of getting to know Chad, getting to know Willfield Marketplace. But I'm sure maybe there's a certain percentage of people that have gone back that far and listened to the episode. But maybe there's probably a larger percentage that haven't. So for those who don't know, what is Willfield Marketplace? So Oilfield
1: Marketplace is uh it's our attempt uh to have some intelligent digital commerce in the US oil and gas industry. You know, I you know it's uh it, it's, it's funny because I, I look back at my past and I look back at my history and and when I talk about uh our industry uh the one thing I always focus on is is how innovative uh, in terms of how it is the the technology innovation and adoption is it's it's absolutely amazing. So and when people ask what I do, I don't, I don't we're we're not moving iron, right? We talk about this this is a technology mm-hmm. uh uh group. So uh I mean I mean look back at what happened from 2008 to 2018. Look 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 at the just the renaissance uh, of innovation that happened in our little it has been US unconventional it's been right? <laughs> it, it, it it's amazing. So I'm I'm super glad to be here for for Digital Wildcatters because Uh, To talk about this, this subject, you know, when we start talking about sourcing and procurement and and things along those lines, it's, it's a pretty dry subject usually. So my apologies to the supply chain people out there. (laughs) I I feel you, I've, I've dealt with that uh, before, but it's something that it's really come to light uh, in the last couple of years. But our industry and kind of legacy fashion has just stubbornly resisted. Uh, taking that same level of innovation into how we source and procure, how we find and buy things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny you mentioned the the interview with Chad uh, when when I first came to, to oilfield marketplace was in in twenty uh, twenty uh, from SLB into and put into the spot as the, as the sales director uh the first thing they gave me was the interview with you guys that's your on, they, that's and, your and, onboarding and, and, and they said here's a marketplace here's, and here's, here's a look at that so i was actually quite familiar with with with, with some of your uh some that's of your early so work funny. right it's so funny
0: so yeah. Open marketplace is essentially i mean do you guys kind of uh, pitch it as like the um kind of like the amazon kind of for the oil field or like how do you think about it so look it's um
1: I, I don't like to use, use that so much. Um, when, when we look, when I mentioned about uh, in terms of uh, how we've resisted, think about our daily lives. One of the most pervasive changes we've had to our daily lives in the last 10 plus years has, has been how we find and buy things, has been this digital commerce. I mean, think, think about how you operate every day. Uh, it wasn't that long ago that we went to a brick and mortar store and we bought everything. You know, we we looked through catalogs. This, this is how we handle things. A salesperson came to your office. This was everything. Think about that now. I mean, it, it's, you would, you don't think twice about buying your moving tickets. Don't even think about buying an airline ticket without, without doing it online. I never thought I would shop for groceries, uh, you know, using online sales, but this is still not how our our industry hasn't really taken that same innovative mindset to that you mm-hmm. think about how our sourcing and procurement uh process works uh in oil and gas it's still very very time consuming it's it's very relationship based right we have secretive pricing we have long negotiations we have great big discounts that we give to show the customer how important they are uh, mm-hmm. off off of uh uh, off off of a big elevated price book, right? So um, trying to bring something new. Now, there's reasons behind that. There's reasons why that was like that uh, in the past. We're, we're a very technical industry. Obviously, that's, uh, it, it's, it's different than buying a shirt on Amazon, uh, for example. Uh, there used to be uh, you know, there used to be a, a bit of a shortage of, of qualified suppliers, a limited number of people who could supply the the items that we needed. You know, there were fewer operators, people, uh, large service companies out there uh, working. So there was a lot of pricing power with the buyers. But a lot of that's counterintuitive in today's world. A lot of that doesn't necessarily exist anymore. So people are starting to ask, is it time for a change? Do we need to revisit how this happens, right? Does it still need to be this way? Mm. So really what we're trying to do, and again, I didn't want to come on and, 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 and pitch over a marketplace, right? But what, what we're really trying to do is we're trying to add that digital
0: commerce uh, availability into our industry. You think about, I mean, now that you mentioned, it, going into brick and mortar stores and, and buying <laughs> things, like my last car, I actually bought through a text message because i was literally i was in the middle of driving don't do this don't buy cars while you're driving but i was driving and i was like I, I just need to pull the trigger on this car i found one it was in california i pressed a button sent him a text and said let's buy it boom Shipped to my house in a week right hmm. i think about clothing now it's like i mean i still go to stores for certain things to like try like shoes like yeah i'm probably gonna go but i kind of window shop online first and then i go and i test it out and then i and then i buy it but like shirts and things like that i Crazy enough, I do a lot of shopping on like Instagram, right? Because you're scrolling through and you see somebody like wearing something, you're like, I kind of like that. And then Mm -hmm. they have it built in where it's like, go shop. And now I can go and see that. And I'm like, oh, cool. I can bookmark this. And now I'm like, you know, Christmas rolls around. I want to buy myself something nice or whatever. I go to my bookmarks. I'm like, oh, all these great clothes. I've got a collection of things that I've wanted for some time. You know, it's a totally different user journey for making a lot of purchases. Amazon, I purchase most things from amazon because for one i can guarantee that i can find exactly what i want even if it's something that's like very like let's look at the podcast setup here like say if there's a, a very specific dongle that i need that it's like mm. one end on one side and one on the other and that they just don't manufacture anymore why would i go to walmart or best buy and walk around aimlessly and then like the sales have no clue what they're talking about anymore mm. and that's universal right even if you go to home depot like you can't walk in there and like, like nobody knows what they're talking. And so you, you can't find what you're looking for, but I go on Amazon, I popped in really quickly, find it. I can have it delivered my house in like two hours, right? Like half the things that I get delivered now that they've built up all these Amazon uh, fulfillment things in Houston, I can literally at noon order something and have it delivered by three. Hmm. It's so mind blowing, you know? And yeah. so now it's like, what am, what am I going to do? Am I going to like spin my wheels or am I just going to have like the super, super convenience? Right. Now, obviously it's a slippery slope because now I spend all my money on Amazon, but you know, you pay for the convenience. So, you know, you asked before we came in here, what's,
1: what, what's, what's changed in, in the last three years? And, yeah, what are the lessons? And, I'm curious. Uh, yeah. The, and, and you know, it's it's been amazing. I'm almost embarrassed how long it took to really come up with a lot of these. Because the reality is we still have not embraced this uh, in our industry. And we'll, I'll, I'll talk about our progress, which we're quite excited about. But in reality, we we still haven't embraced this, right? And I was giving a talk the other day and somebody asked me, so, so what is the history of digital commerce, e-commerce, and 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 oil and gas? And uh I used to put this big matrix up here, and here's all the companies, and here's everybody who's tried it and where they operate. And and by the way, these these are not competitors, right? Mm-hmm. We we're super on board with everyone trying to do this because what we're trying to do is change the culture. I'm not against anybody else yeah. trying to do this. We're I'm I'm cheering these guys on, right? But I thought how how can I show this this simply? And and all I did, I, what I put up on the screen is I put up the field of dreams. And if you build it, they will come.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And this is the perfect example of what's happened. There's been people
0: out there. This this has been being tried for a few years now. That's one of the things that I mentioned to Chad three years ago, as I said, you realize that a lot of people have been trying to tackle this for a long time. Absolutely. And how are you guys going to do it differently to make sure that's successful? I've
1: never seen, I've never had anything. I've got 26 years now uh, in this industry. I've never been part of anything that had such a feeling of inevitability. Yeah. Right. When I came in, they said, of course, it's going to happen. Right. You've got a you've got young people coming up who have bought this way their entire lives. Right. Uh, you know, this this is going to be second nature. Right. It, it's absolutely inevitable. And I say, that's true if you do it right. Mm-hmm. Right. And and what we've seen on that field of dreams is that most of the people who have come in, either they they they've had very little success or there's there's been a number of cases where they've they've pivoted and gone into a bit of a niche market, whether it's just just for people or whether it's you know just for rentals or something mm-hmm. very very specific, and they've had success, and that, that that's amazing. Uh, there's been some of them that have completely rebranded and left left the industry uh, entirely and gone off. Uh, so and, and into why do you think that is? is? I mean,
0: obviously, you know, going into a certain niche, I can understand that, right? Maybe you have some success there, you lean in. I can understand leaving the industry, throwing in the towel and being like, "Hey, let's just go tackle this somewhere else. Obviously there's easier industries to work in, but for everybody else who hasn't succeeded, do you think that's, you think it's cultural resistance? Do you think it's just them not doing it right? And so cultural resistance is, is what
1: I leaned on for a long time. Uh, What I've come to realize is that, and and we were a bit guilty of this uh, ourselves at the start, uh, is that. People jump, that feeling of inevitability made people jump straight into features, mm. right? What are the cool features we need? We need user reviews and we need to, you know, they, they, you need to have all this different selectability and you need to have related products and you need to have all these, dif- this different functionality kind of emulating what you see in our, in our daily lives. And, and it was time to just call a timeout, right. And say, well, hold on, let's back up. What, what are the pain points? Mm -hmm. Right. What are we actually trying to solve and for who? Right. And then after that, what are the roadblocks uh, that are going to happen or that are going to stop that from happening? And this is really where people run into it. So when you talk about the pain points, we see now, you know, obviously, Covid was a bit of a, a, a push for this. A mm-hmm. lot of demand started coming. People didn't necessarily know what they wanted, but there was a lot. Of, there was a lot of interest in it, right? But you see the the issues that are going to start driving this. These interlocking issues really, really taking mm-hmm. off, right? Uh, supply chain. You know, every, everybody. Uh, this this is quite the quite the topic uh, now. As, as I as I kind of um, uh, started off. Now that's a bit of a catch all people use that it's it's a huge process in our industry people are generally talking about uh you know uh product manufacturing availability transportation but part of the larger sourcing uh and and procurement organization well well today uh, these suppliers, they don't even necessarily have the products even for their most loyal and and bigger customers, right? Mm-hmm. It was always a problem for the small guys, but they don't even necessarily have that for the big guys now. So the ability to evaluate and onboard new suppliers and do it very quickly because it's a time-consuming process, this is, this is driver number one. That's exacerbated by an issue that's very unique to our industry, and that's excessive customization. Mm and anyone here who's worked for a company who 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 makes a technology whether you're a supplier whether whether you're a service company it's always a driver for technical differentiation right to Mm -hmm. to to show what you can do with what the other guys uh can what it's led to is is this excessive customization being the norm rather than the exception Uh, and it just means we have this huge variety even when it's unnecessary and what that drives is Is that lack sp- of standards or is that
0: just them feeling like they need
1: to it's 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 when you it's when you go and you look at it's it's not lack of standards. It's it's in a very, very competitive market where there's a huge number of OEMs that's trying to get that one little that that one step. They're trying up, to decommoditize
0: right? themselves in a way.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And and that and that's exactly it. And then because you're trying to do that to win the work, then, then this is being requested by, by the users, by, by the buyers as well. What this ultimately causes, now I'm getting into the dry area of this, but what, the, what this ultimately results in, huge inventory risk, because now you've got massive versions of the same thing. So big inventory risk, uh, longer lead times, higher final cost to the customer. And what it also does is it just extends the technical sales cycle. Mm-hmm. Right. It just makes. And I, I, I have one of, our, one of our customers give us a, 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 or one of our vendors give us a great uh, example of, of their RFQ process. They've got a whole room full of people that all they do is answer RFQs that just get blasted into them asking, asking for quotes. And they estimated 12 to 15 touch points back and forth before they could finally uh, come up with the price wow. on this. This is even repeat customers, people so is, buying the same things they've bought before. So even if
0: they're using Wolf of Marketplace, do they still have to do this RP no. process? No, and, and, and,
1: and this and this is this is kind of what I'm, I'm just giving some of what happens in our industry that's really driving this right. But there's a huge opportunity for standardization yeah. uh, in our industry, and, and I, I, you know, that kind of takes me off a little bit. But I always say this is never going to replace salespeople. Right. Yeah. We, we are a very technical industry. What we want to do is we want to take some of that unnecessary administration off of let, let your salespeople focus on high value opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. Let, let yeah. your salespeople focus on those ones that have to be specially engineered like, rather than those repeat
0: like, same things. Like you said, about yeah, 80% t- of what you buy is the same. Technology thing, right? is never going to replace relationships, right? right? Whether it's in, in, in what you guys do or any other business. You're in the people business first and foremost. And I think a lot of people lose sight of that in kind of B2B. There is no B2B. It's B2C, yeah. you know, and you want to buy and you want to work with people. <laughs> those, those two like. phrases are, are so widely it's, used. Yeah, it's misused. so misused. And so, yeah, you're never going to like replace that. However, you can enable, you know, your best people with better technology enable your customers with better technology. Like Absolutely shorten that shorten that curve and, and not have to have 12 to 15 touch points back and forth to figure out what the hell you're actually going to get them.
1: Absolutely. And then what does that do when you extend that that sales cycle? Well, that just makes your people and your structure cost that much worse. And, and what have we seen the last couple of years, right? As COVID hit, then, uh, you know, margins were too tight. People couldn't afford to fan 50 salespeople out across the United States. Well, once that started lifting, we all, you know, sigh of relief, you know, look at everything goes, well, now suddenly the lack of people that's playing all the industries right now hit us, right? Have you gone out and tried to hire people right now? It's, 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 yeah. it's an absolute, uh, uh, nightmare, right? So each of these successive things, plus the, the, you know, the desire to, you know, to leverage digital Capabilities, right? Mm-hmm. To to reach new customers this way, to reduce that administrative uh, cost, and and generally to improve your customer uh, experiences as well, right? Kind of kind of more of an operating model. So when when you ask, um, you know, why hasn't this stuff worked in the past? One, I I think it's because you know we jump straight into to the features that that emulate what we've. What what we see in our daily lives without mm. understanding the difference between us buying a shirt, you buying that dongle on Amazon, and mm. how our business works, right? Yeah. There is an inertia embedded in the way we do business that has not been met by digital commerce and oil and gas yet yeah. today. So so when we look at those problems, the next step is what what are the roadblocks? This, this, is, this is what has, has really, uh, I think, hamstrung a, a lot of people as well, because you can, you, you can have a very good product, but as soon as you the, – there, there's a whole list of roadblocks in the way we do business, part of that inertia, that as soon as you don't meet one of those correctly, it, it, it stops. it it stops entirely. And, and so the first thing, the first thing, when when I came in, we, we, we started looking at some of those, those technical roadblocks, right. And we said, okay, uh, what's, what's different than, than your, your Amazon uh, experience, for example. So first of all, we got to have price transparency, but we have to be realistic that you're always going to have customers who are going to have different pricing than the standard. So Mm -hmm. it better be able to handle, you know, basic price books. Uh, this isn't our day to day. People aren't all going to buy with with a credit card, right? Mm. We we love cash in advance. I think anyone who who manufactures things love cash in advance in general, but our industry is run by supplier free credit, right? We we buy things, especially once you're a repeat customer, we buy things uh, uh, with a purchase order, right? Yeah. Uh, so you have to be able to handle these these different mechanisms of of how you how you purchase, right? So first th- the first step to get through even to something that's roughly equivalent to the way it's done today is to get past a lot of these, uh, um, uh, technical roadblocks, but then to get it where it's something that's not just good enough to get it where it's something people want to use. Uh, that's kind of kind of what I call the great filter. That's that, Mm. that's where people have, have not gotten past date. And, and what we realized is that, There has to be, and this sounds so basic, so I apologize if if it seems like I'm just saying something so obvious, but I I don't think it is that obvious when you do this. It has to provide value both to the buyer Mm -hmm. and to the seller. Right. This is not Amazon where you can force vendors to come sell on here because so many people are just to the distribution going right. to use it. You have to you have to do that. And yeah. and we talk to a lot of people trying to answer these questions. What are the pain points? What are what are the roadblocks? And and ultimately, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm giving away my secrets here because I want to I, I want to see this this move forward. Right. Right. Um, ultimately we we found two things we found what what do the buyers want aside from managing all those technical stopping points what what do the buyers want the buyers want a large enough portfolio of of what they buy to be available mm-hmm. because the reality is if if someone goes on and they can only find one thing that they buy traditionally, there's not much value to buying that online. They can yeah. call the sales guy and they, they, they can sort that out where their value comes in is when they can buy five, six, eight different things that they buy on a regular basis. You start getting an exponential value in cutting down that long procurement and sourcing process, you know, five bids and reply and negotiation. You start, you start cutting that down. So what we call pit, fit for portfolio or fit for buyer portfolio. Sorry about that. Uh, when, I, when I first joined, we, we had all these products end to end on, on, on the well life cycle. But when you drill down to an individual person, say your VP, a Frac or, or a production engineer, you're like, well, there's only a couple things this guy buys, right? So let's, let's, let's be a lot for a little rather than, than a little for a lot, right? So the first thing is, is, is they need uh, a wide variety of what they buy. The second thing they need is product variety, They'd have to be able to replace competitive bidding Mm -hmm. using this because if they only have, if they're there to buy a valve and you only have one of those valves, they still have to go get two or three more compared comparative prices. Right.
0: If you can do that right on the site. I mean, it's a huge challenge for you guys because you've got to go, let's just look at valves, right? You need three to four different valves. You've got to go and onboard three Mm. to four different valve companies, you know? So it's, creating that marketplace. I think it's a lot harder than people think
1: it is hard. And, and because the, 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 the people I work with are are really tired of, of hearing me give this analogy. I I had the chicken and the egg uh, analogy. Mm -hmm. So, so I say, what do the buyers want? The buyers want a a big portfolio of solid brands, right? A good variety of those, of those brands. Plus it, it can't confront their existing supply chain processes. It has to align with that because you can actually, um, you know, you, you're challenging the value proposition of an organization and your buyer, uh, yeah. in, in your buyer group uh, potentially. So that's what the buyers want. Okay. So they, they, they want good brands, lots of sellers, lots of variety. Okay. So what, what, what do the sellers want? Well, the sellers want, first thing I came in, they say, well, the sellers want to reach new customers. I say, Okay. Right is 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 that all is is that a given because I think that's how most people have viewed it is that all this is is to reach more people with with fewer salespeople I'm like I don't know let's 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 talk to let's mm-hmm. talk to some vendors and and find out right and as we talk to them. If that was the case for you know a lot of your smaller companies who are trying to branch out, who are trying to grow, or trying to to get a foothold in. Yeah, that yeah. that tends to be their, their primary focus. But when you start talking to some of those bigger companies, bigger suppliers, bigger brands, those ones the buyers want to see on there, I didn't hear so much of that. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't hear as much. We need to reach new customers, right? People. People know who those those companies are, yeah. right? In, 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 in general, uh, it's, it's not a big reach. When I talk to them, they have a whole different set of drivers. And what they say is, yeah, okay, if we reach new customers, uh, that, that's fine. What we need to see is, is, is we want to be able to do this easier and cheaper. And I think this is something that has been missed by a lot of digital commerce efforts. For the vendor, for the person selling on here, it has to be easier and cheaper. To do business this way Mm -hmm. Uh, again i'm saying real obvious things here uh but there's a reality because if it's not why else would your vendor want the buyers to keep buying through the marketplace let's say you go find that new customer right they buy through there once or twice well now they just start buying directly from from the vendor we need to provide value to the vendor and you know, obviously take our share of that value, but we need to provide value for that vendor to, to have them keep buying mm-hmm. through the site. So there's your there's your chicken and the egg, right? You have your 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 buyers want that big portfolio of solid brands and good variety. And your uh and your sellers want they want to reach new customers, but they want to be able to do it easier and cheaper.
0: So a lot of times when you're looking at marketplaces, let's look at things like um Choro car rentals Mm -hmm. um, has gotten really competitive. You're looking at Airbnbs, particularly right now has gotten very competitive. Um, You know, I think with a lot of marketplaces where it's like almost things almost become commoditized in a way, are suppliers fearful that it may become a race to the bottom on purely pricing or are they confident in their kind of, differentiating factors like the customization and things like that, where I guess I can make the analogy back with Airbnb. You've got some of these super high end listings or you have ones that are experiences that stick out, right? Or maybe they're the, one of the only ones in the area. Mm-hmm. They're not commoditized, right? but you can look at the middle of the pack. I can go and, and look at places in Austin, which I was there like two weeks ago. And there's a million and they're like, and they're so cheap too, you know, or yeah. at first. And then you add including fees and it gets more expensive, but like, it quickly becomes very, very competitive. Same thing on the Toro side. Like, I don't know how some of these like little rental companies are making any money because you're like renting out very nice cars for like $60 a day, you know? So I'm curious if that's come up with some of the suppliers, like, are they fearful in that marketplace environment? That- it,
1: it's it's a common conversation that we have. Yeah. And it's one that people's mindset is is starting to change a little bit. And, and it also depends on what do you want to list and what kind of operating model do you want to use this for? Mm-hmm. As I said before, you're, you're never going to replace anything, but it's interesting you bring that up because the common thought in the past was, okay, you've got this really, really commoditized stuff. Mm-hmm. And then everything else is, is wildly differentiated. And we have to be very fearful of our pricing. In fact, every time we talk to new vendors, I mean, it is ingrained in our industry about uh price transparency is, is, terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying, right? So everyone that when they, their first thought uh, to doing this is, okay, we've got all this excess inventory sitting on the side, this old commodity stuff, we haven't been able to sell it in two years, let's let's put it online. And I always tell people, if you can't sell it with your salespeople who have trusted customers, this is probably not going to be a silver bullet. We might find some people that you haven't managed, managed to reach uh, but that's probably probably not going going to be the case, right? But what we what we see, is people's uh, mind changing. There is a very highly engineered, highly differentiated, uh, all of that. That probably doesn't translate as well. Yeah. Right. Well, but I to be realistic. This is where you put your salespeople, right? These are the opportunities they, they need to be chasing, but you kind of touched on it. It's not just that and commodity. There's this big middle space. Of course, there's technical differentiation, but it's also highly competitive. What people are starting to realize, especially in this market here, people pricing is not as secretive as, as we think it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, People know your pricing yep. much more than, than than we like to admit that they do. <laughs> uh, because the second concern people always have is, well, if I'm going to be on the site, I, I want to be the only one. Don't put my competitor right next to me. And I'm like, guys, um, and, and, and people are understanding this. You're not going to lose your customer because your competitor is next to you on the site. Because even if they're a regular customer, they're going out and price checking. Right. They're, yeah. they're getting prices from other people. It's just they're going and doing it on their own. And, you know, then realistically, they're probably making relationships with the salespeople uh, they're, they're talking to uh, as well. Right. So. So, uh, yeah, it, that that's a shifting mindset. It, it's probably the biggest ingrained fear uh, is that pricing. But um Uh, we, we, we work through people that there, there's kind of a way people evolve through that. Mm -hmm. Uh, we always tell them, don't just put your commodity junk on there. You know, you've got to put, you've got to put your good stuff on there and you've, and you've got to put a real, a real market, uh, price. How many, how many like kinds of, of products do you guys have on the, on the platform now? So, so we, we do have, we do have a, a pretty good range. Uh, it's, it's predominantly upstream. You know we we have some midstream as well but uh there, there there's a good range uh from drilling through through production uh as i mentioned the let's be a lot for a little uh mm-hmm. what we what we have been doing part of our strategy was to uh was 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 to grow in groups as i mentioned that that fit for buyer portfolio yeah so so we we, we pick parts of parts of the uh well life cycle where we more aggressively tried to add vendors to really fill in
0: that port, so part how, of the portfolio how did you decide on that that was maybe my follow up. Like, how did you decide like where to start with the marketplace because obviously the whole oil field's wide right so right. you said you honed in on upstream right and then when you get in the upstream you look at the well life cycle was it like where you saw the biggest needs or was it kind of just lowest hanging fruit like i'm just kind of thinking like how to get in you all head it, it, it
1: was a it was a combination of 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 the two uh, it, it was a combination of where we had made uh some traction already, but also uh where the most products uh, are bought at yeah. the highest frequency and yeah. what translates best to to uh to e commerce because that you know that that was another basic question we had to address right uh, right when I came in is who who are, who are the buyers Mm-hmm. It sounds like such a simple question, right?
0: But we so we, you probably have like you probably have on, on some sort the EMPs are probably doing some of the buying, right? You probably got some of the other Wolf field service companies doing a significant amount of the buying, mm-hmm. right? I don't know if you guys also work with like master distributors that are buying from other suppliers, so maybe that's another persona potentially, right? Okay. Did I miss anybody?
1: No, th- th- those, are the, those are the three big groups, okay? Uh, but um, there, there's a a reality, we, we, act, we actually, we, we did this exercise where we, we took every product we could possibly think of that's used from well construction all the way through production. We mapped it out and said, who buys this? And there, there, there's so much gray area because yeah. there, there's a lot of products that are bought by e and and service companies and yep. everything else. But if you really just drill that down to one sentence, there's a reality that we're like, it was almost a bit. Shocking to us because the reality is, is that service companies buy most of the products that are, that are bought, right? E&P companies predominantly buy services performed by service companies who buy the products needed to, to, to perform those, those services. Right. So the vast majority of, of our customer base today has been uh, uh, service companies. And, and where we focused is we, where we had had some more traction, but where the highest number of, repeat high frequency consumables were used. So our initial focus was really on uh, wireline intervention uh, and completion products. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where we've, we've kind of focused and where we've grown. And, and now we're, we're, you know, trying to start replicating that in other parts of it into, into the production, into the, you know, fluids and, and, and
0: part of the drilling process, et cetera. And we're just going to replicate that through as, as we go. So I'm curious, kind of go back to what we talked about in the beginning on the, the inventory side, right? So imagine, you know, if you can't effectively manage inventory, you have just, somebody has tons of capital that's just sitting on a shelf somewhere, right? If it's not being bought, not being used, consumed, whatever. Right. Is there ways, I mean, I don't know if you guys have thought about this or not, but to where you can kind of get the technology through the entire life cycle of how something is like, I mean, from the point that it's, you know, manufactured all the way to the point that it's used to where it's like you have you know visibility into it's almost like like as soon as you need something it's like automatically either like ordered and then if they don't have it then it's automatically sent on to like hey we need to like manufacture like having full visibility like everybody kind of has visibility into like what's possible i don't know if that's just a pipe dream or not but the reason i bring it up i'm gonna give a little little uh shout out to deloitte but they had me at their their greenhouse uh, mm-hmm. thing yesterday and they walked me through this like inventory management system of like It was set up like a grocery store, right? Right. Somebody pulls some Wheaties off. It automatically detects, hey, Wheaties was taken. We need to go ahead and order more. And then it, like a whole workflow would get kicked off and it would be put back on the shelf, right? So it got me thinking about that in terms of like, yeah, so what if you need to buy something? But then you go to the supplier and the supplier's like, well, shit, I don't have it, right? But now I need to put in a minimum order of a thousand pieces of something and that's going to cost me a ton of money. And then you go to, you know, the manufacturer and what if the manufacturer's like, oh, shit, I can't get steel, you know? And then you can kind of, you can keep walking that down the line, right? right? Especially in this kind of terrible situation we're in with our our supply chain that hasn't caught up. You've seen that with, you've seen that with chips, right? And all the different devices and stuff that are being, made. you see that with uh, trucks. Like I try to go buy a truck. About a year ago and you couldn't there was like nothing there was absolutely nothing in the lot because they didn't have chips that they could i, I cannot so. pay above msrp yeah <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and I mean, i'm like i, I'm, I can't yeah do i'm, not, I'm not paying twenty thousand over msrp <laughs> so i'm just kind of curious if y'all if, 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 if is that is that totally unrealistic does the technology exist for something like that is that something that you guys have like thought about you know i'm just trying to think like the most ideal i guess kind of situation there and like how do you super super streamline uh the efficiency between it's, these parties this is awesome question so I, I mentioned earlier. I, I said if 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 you want
1: there to be value for the the seller, the buyer value is 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 clear, right? We have huge opportunity with you know the number of suppliers, the number of buyers, you know, everything we've touched on. But if you want to provide value to the seller, to the vendor, I mentioned it has to be easier and cheaper to do business this way, even for your repeat and existing customers, yeah. not just for new for new customers, right? And you just hit the nail on on the head. So when it goes back to our previous question, why hasn't this worked in the past? Because most efforts with this have have really just been a a buying facing, buyer-facing web page, right? Yeah. What happens when an order is placed? It comes in and then it goes through a hundred percent of just the standard channels for fulfillment, right? That's Mm -hmm. not easier and cheaper. All that is is an order. Yeah. Mechanism, right? So, what we spent oh, the last year and a half working on, now it's not to the full extent of of, of what you say, because yeah. we, we need to be uh, able to to be fairly generic across uh, all of our vendors. But we have spent time rebuilding the structure uh, of OFMP uh, to to the internet standard and and to, for the use of of APIs. And the point behind this is now when orders come in, there's centralized order management. All their orders come in to one place.
0: And by the way, API is application protocol interface, not the American Petroleum Institute. API yes. Numbers. Thank <laughs> you. <Let's> just, <laughs> I was going to clarify in this industry, yeah. right?
1: It's all, all, all it is. It's a little file that, let, that lets you access someone's ERP, their business systems. And and, yeah. and 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 communicate, uh, yeah. back so Whether and forth that's without in f-
0: without fully Dynamics integrating or hold. Salesforce or whatever your ERP is correct. Right? Whether that's
1: Oracle, whether it's yeah, whatever yeah. whatever whatever that may be.
0: Right. I'd, I'm I'll, I'll
1: try and keep it a, a bit <laughs> high level, but the point being is now when these orders come in. There's a central place where where all your orders are managed. It automatically checks and see, do you have a contract uh, with those customers? If you have a credit system, it will automatically check and see if they have available credit. Mm -hmm. So you can make all your decisions right there. Uh, We're just now to the point where we're having integration with uh where we can see into their inventory system so it's going to show how much inventory there they have go. available so they can accept or decline the order right there they can split it if they don't have enough automatically ping back uh, a request for manufacturing more uh if they're short and as they run through all of these uh, is they run through uh, all of the steps of order fulfillment, it's communicating back to the buyer just like you get when you order something online and it's saying now it's manufacturing, now it's shipping, it's estimated this day. All of these uh, are coming back. Uh, the latest update we're making right now, we're starting with SAP because it is the low-hanging fruit. It's it's the one most used by uh By by a lot of our our sellers, is then have the ability to integrate into their financial system to set up uh, the sales order, to record inventory movement. These are, this is what you want to save your salespeople having to do. You want to get Mm -hmm. your salespeople out from behind their
0: laptop and keep them in front of the customers where they provide value. And I just hit that and probably made, oh no, those those are not, you're good. Okay. So, next crazy question, because now I'm just, my mind's running well. For one, all (laughs) of that's awesome. And I'm so stoked that you guys are doing that. But you mentioned that you mentioned the credit, right? Mm. A lot of people don't realize that the largest bank in the world is Toyota, right? So Toyota- yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, Toyota's the largest, Correct. they finance more people than anywhere, right? Yeah, that makes sense. And that's where, that's where cool. auto manufacturers and dealerships make their money. They make the money on the financing. They don't make the money on the vehicles. Sure. Right? Have you guys thought about almost like having like a, I don't know, like a, like a bank arm of that to where you can offer credit to various, I don't know, whether it's buyers or sellers, Right. And then possibly supercharge that because now you're making, I don't know, six, eight percent, whatever it may be on every single order that comes through. I mean, if anybody can pull that off, I feel like it's probably you guys. But is that a terrible idea? That could be a terrible idea. All I know
1: it, it's I'm not saying it's a terrible idea at all. It, we, we've yeah. talked about credit and, an awful lot. Yeah. Uh, and how we want to handle that because there is a reality. And, and again, th- this is one of those culture changes that I, that you have to work with rather than. Coming face to face there's obviously
0: a risk. It's a cyclical business and there are a lot of bankruptcies. It's huge risk. So the way we work
1: right now is that, um, when people buy using a purchase order, uh, on credit, it's the seller that's providing the credit. We, we facilitate, uh, the transaction, right? So we take that administrative side off, but we are not taking the actual, um, you know, credit risk. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it is an issue in our in our industry that people are very accustomed to that uh, anywhere from 30 all the way up to 90 days now yeah. uh, payment terms so people are getting uh, very uh, large amounts of essentially free credit in our industry mm-hmm. already today so yeah. we talked about it would be very easy for us to uh, have an agreement with with the bank and and let there be automatic uh, financing there but in general that would only be for people who are not qualifying for credit right now tends to yeah. be used more for, you know, used equipment sales kind of one-off yeah. things. Not 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 so much right in, in our wheelhouse. Uh, but the 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 big challenge I would say to that is is the fact that most suppliers provide that credit th- mm. themselves. But it, it's something we're going to keep watching and keep looking at. It, it's
0: probably not near the top of the priority list right yeah. now. Super interesting. I just had to think yeah. about that for a second. Uh, what was my other question? I don't know what um, do the, do the payments take place through the platform? Yes. Okay. Yes. And so do you guys, Do you is that homegrown kind of processing? or? Do you
1: yeah. So, has? so, so the way, so obviously we, we do all the, the, the cash in advance type payments. We, yeah. we do credit cards. We take, uh, we take ACH. We, we have a very close relationship with JP Morgan Chase yeah. in, in that regards, uh, and, and what's been up to date whenever we take these purchase order and credits, basically we've, we've been taking orders and and in the past the, the customer's been then actually the one, in or the seller's been the one actually invoicing directly to the buyer. So that we're changing as well. Uh, and then it will be the same process as cash in advance where we take the ACH payment, but just at the terms, right? Whether it's our standard terms and conditions or whether it's a pass-through contract from the seller. If they have 60-day payment terms, then we facilitate that transaction in 60 days uh, via ACH. Nice. Yeah. So, so you're I've making done, it easier that we're, we're trying to make it easier again. Now, now we, you asked about the credit We're we're not, we're not the ones actually providing credit because quite yeah. frankly, I'd have to have a wildly different commercial model if I was taking on credit yeah. risk versus, yeah. versus the, the percentage that we take today would have to be significantly larger. Uh, but,
0: uh, the whole, the whole idea is to take all of that administrative burden from, from the sellers. So last question, what, what is kind of on the immediate roadmap that maybe we haven't talked about yet?
1: Oh, okay. Uh, that no. you can talk about. No, no, that's, yeah. that, that's an excellent question. So um, what we have, uh, completing all of this, what I call the commercial efficiency side, which, which is that the next step, and we've already done the, we've done the visualization, we've done the mock-ups, uh, is service scheduling. Okay. Well, okay, what, what does that mean? So what does that mean? That, that's right now what we have on on the site is anything that can be productized, which is a fixed price for a fixed tangible item or I mean it could be it, it could be an action but something that that kind of has a fixed price. When I say service scheduling, uh, what I mean is is now we're talking about people in time we're talking about rentals or we're talking about a complete service come out and run a cement bond log uh on the well it's something that has so oh, that something
0: where you go like say you cement bond log right is that mm-hmm. when you go and you you book this service through various vendors where you can say hey i'm looking to do this and then they can come in and say hey here's kind of what the what would be so what so one thing about
1: Oilfield marketplace, this was Chad's vision. I was 100% on board with him and and we're keeping this. Uh, We never wanted this to be an RFQ site. Yeah right this was always going to be a complete transaction all the way through because that's what the industry lacks once you start having request a quote yeah, yeah. contact here for a quote we're, we're just you're back, just, you're we're back a web to your page you were, again yeah, yeah. Right? We're, yeah. We're, we're a web page so no the the idea is is this is where you can have a rate but you don't necessarily know what the fixed end cost is going to be till it's done so uh just picture you come in and, and we'll use that cement bond lock mm-hmm. and yeah. and when you come in, you say there's this fixed rate plus this hourly rate above, or this rate for people or however people structure their, their commercial. You pick the date and times you want, like buying an airline ticket with your with your calendar view. Uh, it comes back and it's, it's accepted, whether that time is, is acceptable. You run the job. When the job is done, you go back into the site. You give your e-signature. It updates what the estimate was and completes the transaction at the time. So now you, when you think about um, the different value, obviously, this is wonderful for democratizing for the buyer. They can go and see who's going to have available on that availability on that site uh, for some of, these, some of these services. And then you think about from, from the seller side, you know, you rent a tool. Uh, I had a number of them tell me the biggest challenge I have uh, comes with, comes with cash flow and i don't know exactly when that rental ends you know and without throwing out too many terms i think people most people are familiar with with dso you know days sales outstanding mm-hmm. right a big part of dso is the time from when the job ends until you invoice right that's usually where we have the most impact right and then your payment terms start at the time that, that you invoice right so now you start thinking about leveraging digital when the job is over and you go and you get your electronic signature right there on the site your DIR0 it's your then you start your you're able to invoice right at that point in time and have your uh, minimize the time till you receive your cash, right? So there's, there's huge benefits on each side. But the real interesting thing about service scheduling and sorry you've got me up on my socks. <laughs> <now. laughs> the real interesting thing about service scheduling is that it changes that buying buyer's pool that we talked about. When I said most of your products are bought by service companies, most of your services are bought by EN;P companies.: Yeah, so now this is really opening this up to a much, much wider
0: audience. I love it. And I love the way that you guys are thinking about this. And it's it's been so cool to to catch up and see like three years later, like you guys are still rocking and rolling. I love that you guys are thinking about, you know, the actual personas, the actual problems, the actual roadblocks, and really putting a lot of effort in there. And I think that is why answering my own kind of question earlier, same thing with Chad is like, you know, everybody has tried to be this whole Amazon for the willful. How are you going to do it differently? And I think that you guys have gone about it the right way. So I hope three years from now we can follow up again. And you guys are just continuing to, to crush it. So I, this is like a masterclass on supply chain for me. So like, I, I really appreciate it. And I know everybody else will as well. So Jason, thanks for being here. Flavia. Sorry. We uh, we missed you. We'll catch you next three years. <laughs> okay. No, thank you for having me. It was
1: uh, it was good fun. I'll come back anytime. All right. Appreciate it, man.